Welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. Today, I have a legend with us. His name is Peter Sage, and he's a guy who I've been wanting to interview ever since I first saw him on London Real and heard his amazing take on how to not be a victim in life, how to step up and live a life of power and purpose. And he is an international speaker. He speaks all over the world. He's an extreme entrepreneur who's built 15 businesses before he was even 30 years old. And very interesting. You would expect a guy like that to have been to a major business school, but no, he does not have a formal education. And Peter's going to tell you exactly why he thinks that and to help you maybe figure out whether you need a formal education to achieve what you want to do. And he's also a big fitness buff. He was a competitive bodybuilder and he's competed in endurance races. And he's got a lot to say about health and fitness, the way it fits into success in the bigger picture of our lives and more. And I'll tell you, Peter has some powerful, powerful concepts that will help you look at your life and your opportunities differently after listening to this episode. It is that powerful. And I'll tell you what, I've been doing a lot of interviews and I've interviewed a lot of very badass people, like successful people, but man, Peter gave me a run for my money. I had to work to stay up with him, to keep up with his energy. He brings it and you're gonna learn a lot. Prepare to have your mind blown in the best way possible with this interview with Peter Sage. Welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Rice, and I have Peter Sage with us today. Peter is an extreme entrepreneur, a world-class speaker, a guy who started many businesses, including Space Energy, which is bringing space-based solar power to us down here on Earth. He's worked with Tony Robbins as a trainer. He also is big into health and fitness. He was a competitive bodybuilder. He has run endurance races. Peter, thank you so much for being on the show today. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Ah, oh, you're welcome, Ted. It's great that we could carve some time out and connect. Absolutely. And I'm curious, Peter, I've told the listeners a little bit about yourself in case they haven't heard you before on your London Real episode or any of the other many interviews that you've done. But I'm curious, man, if someone met you and didn't know you and asked, hey, Peter, what is it that you do? What would you answer? <laughs> I've been toying with that question recently, actually, as I've transitioned far more into a a role in my life where I'm trying to give back by sharing some of the insights and lessons. Essentially, I'm a teacher. And so one of the, the, the biggest things that I'm very mindful of is not letting my own ego get in the way, which is you know, always a work in progress. So when somebody asks me what they do, usually in society, it's nobody really listens to what comes afterwards. We tend to wait to talk to tell other people what we do, because we're always starring in the movie called Our Life, and everybody else by default is a film extra. So while it may be good conversation, most people are not listening at all. We've lost that skill. We're always just waiting to talk. So I tend not to shine the light on myself as much because my role as a teacher 
And, and I know some people call me a, a motivational speaker, and I, I know I, they mean well by that, but my job isn't to motivate anybody. I mean, there's motivation you can get on YouTube by in 30 seconds. Motivation doesn't last. Inspiration is something different. And it's very hard to inspire somebody when you're focused on telling them about how great you are. Nobody cares. It's very hard to sell your own product when you're focused on telling people how great it is as opposed to what it can do for them. So if somebody asks me what I do, I tend to these days sort of tell them I'm a teacher. And if they ask me what I teach, then I'll tell them I usually it's business, entrepreneurship, human behavior, motivation, psychology, that kind of thing. What do you do? And I'll sort of turn the, the tables around usually as quickly as I can. I like that so much. And I always ask this question because like you mentioned, it's something that people just throw out because they don't know what else to ask. And I love how you're super humble about it and you'll expand more on what you teach if they pursue it, but you turn the tables and ask them and get them engaged. And then after that, I've found, I do the same thing. And I'm sure you've found that people start to, Hey, I've been talking so much about myself. Then they start to reciprocate and pay attention afterwards. <laughs> right? Yeah. If my role is that of a teacher, I can only help people if I know how to help, if I know, understand them. And I'm never going to understand somebody if I'm talking about myself. So my role in terms of being able to help people find their passion or their level of inspiration or help change their life in some hopefully meaningful way, my primary sense here is really listening, watching, registering them. I mean, just looking at all the different levels of information that's coming out and trying to hopefully make sense or understand somebody's model of the world quickly enough to be able to add value to them in a meaningful way. Oh, wow. I love that. And if you're listening to this, take note apply that from now on and stop waiting for your turn to talk about yourself. But Peter, we are here to have you talk about yourself. And I've given the audience a little bit of your accomplishments. You've talked about what it is that you do as well. But you also have a very interesting story where you don't have, although you sound like very polished and like, I wouldn't be surprised if you had come from Oxford, but you didn't come from that type of background. Can you share with the audience your story about how you became who you are today and how those experiences factor into what it is that you've decided to do with your life? Thank you. I mean, I'm one of the first things I usually put out there is that the biggest challenge that a lot of people have who look up to people who have achieved things or done things that they feel impressed by or they feel that are some level of superhuman or it's because they have a skill that you don't have is that they suffer from the pedestal trap. Whenever you put somebody on a pedestal, you by definition minimize yourself in relation to that and automatically give yourself an excuse as to why you can't do what it is that they do and hang out in your comfort zone a little longer. So one of the first things I'll sort of say is that if listening to my story and some of the things I've done, just know that I'm just a guy. You know, I, I put my pants on the same way everybody else puts their pants on, you know, probably. And I'm there's nothing special about me. All I've um, been lucky enough to do is have access to some information and applied that in ways that you know, not everybody has had the chance to do yet. But in sharing some of my story and some of the things I've done, I want the listeners here to really understand that this isn't the story of Pete. This is the story of anybody. And so tapping into that level of personal passion, inspiration and conquering fears, which I'm sure we'll get into on some of the practical strategies on how to do that, is all it takes. It's not about going to Oxford. I mean, luckily, I joke and say that I never suffered the disadvantage of college. But, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and the reason for that is that, you know, education will teach you two things, you know, how to pass tests and work for somebody else. It has its genesis in a industrial revolution model that 
is designed to teach compliance. And then when schools started getting competitive for funding and competing for significance and yeah, on tables and assessments, it was really only grounded in left brain teaching. Because the left brain, the analytical brain, can be measured. If you take a math test and you score a certain percentage, I can measure that based on the answers you get right or wrong. Sure. And that's the left brain. And that has a use in society, but it's only half the story. The right brain is where the creativity, the imagination, the inspiration is harnessed. And unfortunately, that isn't taught or encouraged that much in school, not because we don't recognize the value in it as such, but because it cannot be measured. How do you test somebody on a score level for creativity? It's subjective. So the, the education tends to have people overdevelop their left brain, just like going to a gym and only training your biceps. Yeah, so everyone walks around with these big arms looking for things to lift. And so when we get to going and graduating from school, we graduate in a system that has designed us to essentially be analytical. Should I take this career path? Should I risk my current job and go for something better? Well, I don't. Let me figure it out in a logical, analytical SWOT analysis spreadsheet way, and then I'll make my decision. And that's bullshit. You can't live a life based on left brain and have any access to fulfillment because fulfillment comes from a different place. Wow. And unfortunately, school doesn't teach that. So I got out of school at 16, call it luck, call it you know the ability to spot something early, which, and I wasn't academic. I'm not a smart guy when it comes to things like Harvard. I, I couldn't spell MBA. Yeah, so I'm very <laughs> good at being able to lessons from people that are smarter than me. You know, I think one of the best skill sets that an entrepreneur can have is the ability to be coachable. I don't want to hire somebody that's less smart than me so that I can feed my own need for significance to be the boss. I mean, what kind of dumbass would do that? That's like saying, I want to get better at tennis, so I'll only play people that I can beat. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. work. So being vulnerable enough, being authentic, being open to say, you know something, I don't know where this ride's going, but if there's other people out there who have spent that time focusing on going through traditional education or going through experiences and they've, they've got smarter knowledge than me about something, wow, I'm humbled to be able to have a business that can offer them something, they've got something to offer me, this is a win-win, let's go play, rather than say, oh no, you know, like a lot of teachers in college suffer from the, the grandiosity of their role and therefore they think that their role as a teacher is to tell you what to do and be the, the person who justifies their role, rather than understand that the real nature of being a teacher should be for their wish to have their students excel them. Yeah. Because anything other than that is ego. And so, yeah, I dropped out of school at 16. I realized that if I was going to settle for a job, even if it was paying great wages, let's say $1,000 a week, then it means the job that I'm taking is worth more than $1,000 a week to the business owner. Otherwise, he wouldn't be giving me all the money. So Never thought about it that. like that. Yeah. So by taking a job, you automatically paid less than what you're worth. But if you run it through a left brain analysis, it'll say, well, yes, but that offers more certainty than rolling the dice and going following what this right brain nebulous passion thing is all about. So, you know, stay where you are, unhappy, but certain and see how you feel in 40 years. Yeah, man, you bring up so many things and I'll tell you a little bit about me. I dropped out when I was 19 because of a tragedy and then I went back to school in my late 20s and I was just appalled by formal education, these teachers, but I never got sucked too into it. I had a very different mindset. I'd already been successful as a personal trainer running that business. And But there are a lot of people who are listening right now 
and who have been to all types of educational, formal educational uh, establishments, including Harvard and all types of degrees, all types of formal education attorneys. But I talked to some of them and they are a little bit stuck. And it sounds like what you said about the left brain, using your left brain to find fulfillment and happiness. That's not where it is. It's on this creative side and something that can't be measured. Can you talk a little bit about maybe why people get stuck in that zone where they're like, okay, well, I'm paying the bills, I'm accomplished, look at my resume, but I'm not happy. So can you talk a little bit more about that? And then let's get some people to make some shifts today to start changing not only what they think, but more importantly, what they do after listening to this episode with you. Sure. And you said, Ted, it brings up a lot of points. First of all, I, I want to just not alienate the traditional education gang outright at this moment, because we've been talking in gross generalizations. And traditional education does have a role to play. But what I say to people is if you're following something you're passionate about, then it offers the best environment for learning. If you're following a course in a degree or a, a further educational course that basically is something that you think you have the most certainty in succeeding in so that you can get a certificate on the wall signed by somebody you've never met to validate your own intelligence, yeah, because you think it'll give you a more fulfilling life and a better job with more money, I'm here to tell you that most people now know that's Disneyland. So it does have a role. It does also give you some level of learning routine. It learns you know, getting up in the morning, learning how to concentrate. But in the mainstream, most people's quality of life comes out of their informal education, not their formal education. But if you happen to have a formal education, then you have all power to you, providing you're not using that as the, uh, the betting all of your hopes that it'll give you the pathway to fulfillment and financial freedom. That just doesn't work anymore. So if you've got somebody that's followed that path, they may have done it for various reasons. The most common one is they're following a path of certainty. You know, I think that if I go and get a Harvard education, then I will be more employable or I will have the skills needed to survive in the world and I will be able to earn more money and therefore I will have a better life. And unfortunately, that's an equation that rarely balances out. You may get a better education, which may lead to a better quality of position or career or job, and it may even lead to more money. But a quality of life, which is the reason you were doing it in the first place, a lot of people get to the end of that road and realize it's a dead end. And it's like, wow, how did I find myself here as a respected attorney or accountant or doctor or lawyer? to please my parents, to prove to my teachers I was good enough, to validate my own level of ability to excel. And I struggle to get up in the morning because there's no spark, there's no passion, there's no reason behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. I got to the top of Success Mountain and thought that, wow, I've made it, only to want to jump off, Ted, because it wasn't what I thought it was. And so many of us have been sold a dummy on that level. And what I would say to the people listening is that if you find yourself in a place where, and it may not be that desperate, you may just be getting up and going to work or into your job or your business because it was what you did yesterday and you're in so much of a routine, you've never really stopped to ask yourself the quality questions that could make even what you're doing now more fulfilling. It doesn't mean to say, go and scrap everything, go tell your boss to scrap his job and, and give it to somebody else, but it could be something that getting back in touch with the reasons why you want to do it and reassessing that. Yeah. You know, I go to a dentist and dentists uh, have the highest suicide rate of virtually all 
professions because they're so despised in society <laughs> unconsciously people don't like dentists yeah. and when you confuse your identity with your sense of vocation you have a problem yeah you're not a dentist you're a human being that happens to be involved in dentistry and once you can unhook from that you realize that you're actually a decent guy to, to other people and you're no longer in the business of being a dentist you're in the business of being able to give people beautiful smiles you know reframe what is it that you're really doing Oh, I'm an accountant. Are you really an accountant? Or are you somebody that solves that one of the biggest challenges of business owners for them so that they can go and create value to the and give more to the world? No, reframing. I was just going to say, I love that. I love what you're saying, the reframing. And it may be the fact that you just don't want to be an accountant anymore. You got in for the wrong reasons. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired of getting up and dealing with numbers when your real passion is to deal with people and you want to become a public speaker. But you've got so much fear. What do I do? I never went to school to study public speaking, so therefore I'm not qualified. Ah, that's the mistake. And I'm here to say that I've seen so many people shift in a heartbeat. You don't need education. You need certainty. And how do you get certainty? You align your heart and your mind on what it is that you want. Because I don't care. I would back somebody that has half the skills and double the certainty than anyone that has double the skills and half the certainty. Because somebody with certainty will make it happen. You can learn skills. And today we live in a, a world where Siri can teach you just about anything you want to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's irrelevant. It's no longer about information. Get off the fact that information will save you. Information will take you down the tube. Inspiration, transformation, that's what people need and deserve. And that isn't going to come from doing the same thing you did yesterday just because it was the reason you got out of bed the day before. Yeah. So ask yourself better questions and be honest about the answers. Nobody cares enough about you to bother to give an opinion to judge you because they're too busy being worried about what they think you're thinking of them. Get over it. Wow, Peter, you're saying so much, man. You're so fired up. I love it. I just want to touch on something, something that I've heard you talk about in the past. And something you just mentioned now, you said something about certainty. And most people are looking for certainty outside of themselves. But what I heard you say is the certainty has to do on ourselves and our belief in ourselves, And that's what in part will drive us into changing our behaviors to put ourselves on the path that we really belong on in our lives. I want you to talk a little bit about how we make that change. And you talked about the three different levels of understanding the intellectual, emotional, and you already mentioned identity. Can you talk a little bit about those and how they relate? to what we do in the world and what we're maybe wanting to do in the world, but we're not doing. Sure. And we mentioned earlier about information is everywhere. And I'll tell everybody listening straight up if they haven't figured it out already. Information means nothing. Yeah. Knowing and not doing is the same as not knowing. And we're faced with so much information. It's largely tuned out. But even the relevant information that we don't emotionally buy into means nothing. Now, if you are told by somebody that you're great and you don't believe them or it's an intellectual something or you're told by somebody that you should be doing something else and it's not part of your passion, it's noise. Yeah, you read the labels on a cigarette packet and say you shouldn't smoke and you want to smoke, it's noise. That's all. Intellectual understanding means nothing. Yeah, it can give you some level of positioning to try and convince yourself you're more intelligent, but the payoff is zero. Emotional understanding is the next level. That's where you have this alignment of the heart and mind. See, the mind will, as I say, run you around in circles. It's predominantly left brain developed. And until you have an emotional connection to what it is that the information has, it doesn't have any impact. So if you all of a sudden have that aha moment or somebody says something to you about what you can do in a way that you feel it, then your heart and your mind align and now you have power. Now you have the impetus for change. Now, but just reading a book on how to be a public speaker means nothing 
getting in touch with the feeling of being able to change people's lives from stage and have them buy into the message of all of the mistakes that you've made that you can help save them from making. And really seeing the difference that that makes can start to stir the heart, can start to stir the emotions. It's like, wow, I can do this. Even if I'm willing to fail massively to start with, if my why is big enough because my emotions are brought in, then I will move through obstacles that my mind will usually talk me out of. So the emotional alignment is huge. So first step in the head means nothing. Get the heart bought in so you have the heart and the mind aligned. You have the genesis of power. But then continually doing that, it starts to become natural. It starts to become part of your identity and who you are. So once that happens, it becomes effortless. The choice is no longer shall I or shall I do it. Yeah, take exercise, for example. Sure. If you haven't exercised and your mind is telling you, I really should get to the gym, doesn't mean anything. You're still going to press the snooze button. If all of a sudden now you struggle to make an appointment, you're running up the stairs because the elevator's broke and you get to the top and you're gasping your lungs up thinking, holy crap, this has got to stop. You've got an emotional buy-in now. It's like, screw this. I'm going to the gym. Or you see a really pretty girl and she looks at you and she looks at your physique and she looks at somebody else who's got a better physique and walks across to him. That can have emotional buy-in. Right. Right. Now, all of a sudden, it's not just knowledge. It's not just talking. So we should go. It's holy. Now, hey, listen, that's it. I'm in six o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm joining the gym. So, you know, it's the emotional buying. But once you've been to the gym so many times that it becomes part of who you are, your identities now is I am somebody who trains. I am an athlete. I am somebody who works out, whatever it may be. Once it becomes who you are, the lasting effect is easy because it's, it's effortless. Nobody does anything outside of the identity that they hold themselves accountable to. So if you're a parent, you're going to look after your kids. If you are not a parent, you'll probably put yourself first. If you are a vegetarian, you're not going to eat meat, not because you have different teeth, but because your identity is I am a vegetarian. It becomes effortless to make the decision. So ask yourself, what do you want to become? Do you want to become an employee or stay an employee for the rest of your life? And then you have this entrepreneurial kind of fidget, which says, you know, I really want to start my own business. I really want to become that public speaker. I really want to go and and leave my job and go and sail my own ship. But you don't have an identity shift. So therefore... It's tough. But if you turn around and you shift your identity from an employee to a dynamic, unstoppable entrepreneur that eats challenges for breakfast and do whatever it takes to go and create a difference in the world, boom, you've moved levels. Yeah, so powerful. So, so powerful. And when I heard you say this the first time, Peter, I started asking myself, what is my identity now? And I've had various identities, just like most people have, and have gone through several changes. And I was like, oh, well, I am this. And it starts with those statements, like you mentioned, like I am a vegetarian, which I'm not, but I understand it. Can you talk about how most people's identities get formed without them? I mean, you and I haven't talked about this, but I'm sure we're on the same page that most people are walking around. They have an identity, but it's not really something they consciously, like you mentioned, we should do. It's not something that they consciously chose. Maybe their parents didn't exercise. And so therefore they're like, I'm not a person who exercises. I'm not that person who eats well and exercises. Can you talk a little bit about how our identity gets formed and just expand on that a little bit? 
Sure. And for most people, Ted, it is a process of default. It is a product of the environment. It's what I call the 95% law, the law of conformity. You will conform to the people around you. That's why I tell people the fastest way to change your life is to change your peer group. Yeah, check who you hang with and upgrade at some level of the people who share a quality of thought that you want to share. And unfortunately, most people's peer group and I say peer group, not consciously chosen, it's just the environment they surround themselves with, is the media. And the media has zero vested interest in telling you you're good enough unless you buy their product. Right. So by default, the the news, and and don't get me started on news, I've got a YouTube clip people can go and see about the real business model of of the media. But the, the news has a vested interest in hooking your attention and has zero reality when it comes to you know, reporting what's actually going on. The, yeah. the agenda is set way before you know, that information hits your ears. It's been carefully crafted to design to get a reaction to hook you in. Yeah, Again, don't get me started. So if most people's identity is conditioned by the environment they're in and they're not consciously filtering that from a level of personal protection, shall we say, or integrity about what serves them, you'll always be at the mercy of other people's agenda. And there's a lot of clever people that came out of a lot of clever universities that sit in Madison Avenue that spend millions of dollars of research and development to figure out exactly what to say, how to say it, when to say it, to get you to think under the illusion of free will that you're making a decision that they've already made for you. So when it comes to identity, conscious decision is everything. And ask yourself, what hats do we currently wear? And we wear several. Again, it could be parent, brother, you know, little league coach. It could be, you know, say vegetarian. It could be entrepreneur. There's many different hats. But as soon as we adopt one of those hats, there is an unconscious set of behaviors that are attributed to the societal norms that go along with that hat. Yeah, so as an entrepreneur, yeah, for me, I'm unemployable. Yeah, and that's great. I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, but that's an identity that I choose. For somebody who's employable, 100%. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't. If I'm eating dog food at the side of the street, I will come up with a deal at some point rather than go and work for somebody else. That just, it's just not in my vocabulary. I don't need that level of certainty. I need congruency with who I see myself as. And the paradox of history is that those that risk the least around that usually end up with the least. But our brain doesn't tell us that when there's a mortgage to pay. Uh, Those that tend to swing the bat hard tend to come out on top. I've probably failed, Ted, more times than I've won, but I keep my average number of tries high, and as a result, my lifestyle is you know, somewhat comfortable. That doesn't mean to say I don't have problems. It doesn't mean to say I don't have challenges. Of course not. You know, I have probably bigger problems and challenges than most of society, but how I deal with that is part of the game. You can't learn to swim on dry land. You've got to get in the game, and, and as a result of that, you can live a, a life of quiet desperation, or you can say, screw this. What's the worst thing that can happen? I mean, seriously, guys, what is the worst thing that can happen? You live in a society where it is, for the first time, in human history, impossible to starve to death. Oh, yeah, such a powerful well, point. Yeah, so much what's opportunity. What's going to happen? Right, you're not starving you know, in America for sure. They're going to force feed you if you try it. You know, so <laughs> from that perspective, what happens? You lose your job, you lose your career, you live in a smaller house for a while until you get yourself back on the feet. Guys, give it a break. You've got some better stories for the grandkids. We overdramatize so much. And so, well, no, I don't want to let go of this. Well, you're never going to get higher up the ladder. You're not willing to let go of the rung that you're on. And if you want to settle for that, then great. But here's what I know. If you get to the end of this game, and we can have a million conversations about what that means for for various people or what's next. I'm not here to discuss or debate that. I'm happy with what everyone wants to believe. But I do know that you're not going to take anything with you. And the only people that tried that were the Egyptians, and we dug it up and stole it. (laughs) 
love it. Man. Right? So you're talking about here, and you're an inspiration for this, Ted. This is not the mundane life podcast. This is the legendary life podcast. That's right. Now, and what does legendary mean? It means leaving behind a mark, making a difference. And nobody made a difference by playing small and settling for spending 40 years on a path that they only got to the end of and realized too late that it shouldn't be the path that they were at. Yeah. So much wisdom there. And I love what you said about Egyptians. They did try that. It didn't work. Yeah, we did dig it up and steal it. Peter, one thing that came up for me while you were talking is one thing that is coming up for me a little bit is that we're talking a lot about entrepreneurial pursuits and following what we really want. And just like at the beginning of the podcast, when you said you didn't want to alienate the people who are formally educated, which, you know, there is some value there. Absolutely. But I would love to hear how a person who works in a job and maybe they're not interested in becoming an entrepreneur, but how they could use the same philosophy that you're talking about, these same tactics and beliefs and mindsets that you're talking about and use that in what they're doing right now, working for someone else or someone else's company, or does that not exist? Do we, are the people who do work for someone else, are they just sort of never going to achieve greatness? No, no, of course not. That's heresy to even think like that. You've got a situation where every position, every level is valuable and not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. There's many different flowers in the garden. Tell me which one of them is faulty. Right. Yeah. Everybody's beautiful at their own level. And if yeah, some people are born to be entrepreneurs and some people aren't, and that's fine. It's not for everybody. What I was alluding to is the people that want to be an entrepreneur, but are held back by the illusion that society sold them on. They say, no, you've got to stay certain and, and sell out for a life of unfulfillment. Now, if you're fulfilled in your job, fantastic. Yeah, you don't need to embrace that level of uncertainty as an entrepreneur, but the actual core mechanics are the same. By embracing your passion, do, are you doing what you love and or are you doing it as a means to an end? But the key there, Ted, is that if you are focused on being able to contribute more of who you are through the vehicle of your career, job, whatever, then you will light up because we're born to be able to grow and contribute. If you're being challenged, then fantastic. If you have the ability to help other people, which is what commerce is, no, no commerce is going to be exchanged unless some value is added to somebody at some level, and you can play a role in that, fantastic. And don't discount. If you're a small cog in a big watch, you take the small cog out and the watch stops. So even if you're the guy in the mailroom, yeah, those are important letters. You provide a vital function at that point. If you can get in touch with the energy of that, you're far more likely to serve at a higher level and as a result, move higher up the ladder at a faster rate. So if you're in a career right now, be in a career that juices you or work for a boss who recognizes that the number one level of job security in the world today is to do more than you're paid for. You see, a lot of people say, well, job security is a thing of the past, and it is a thing of the past. Job security only exists in through the ability of your CEO or chairman to run his or her company. That's it. You could be the best widget maker in the world, but if the person who owns the widget making company is bad at making decisions or gets undercut by China, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're gone. So learning to live with that level of uncertainty and just discounting it is fine. You know, just concentrate on the fact that the best that you can do is to add more value. Focus on being able to give more of who you are. If I've got 100 people in my business and I need to downsize to 90, the 10 that are going are the 10 that stop work at 4.59, clear the desk and are out of there before the clock ticks. Now, those that are staying there till 5.20 because they just want to finish that project and they're more interested and associated to the value that we're adding as a business and buying into the ethos and philosophy, yeah, they're on my list as keepers. So 
if you don't like what you're doing, if it doesn't compel you to stay to 520 to do it because you love what you do, find a different vehicle. If you find yourself consistently adding value over and above what you're paid for, but your boss takes you for granted and doesn't really care, trust me, there's a lot of bosses out there that will snap you up in a heartbeat. So don't settle for, again, the quiet life of desperation and don't make the mistake of thinking that you're in the job just because the money's there. We all know and probably have had experience of being able to change jobs for lower pay but had more happiness because ultimately we're trying to get more money so that we're going to be more certain to live a happier life. And so if we get the happiness without the money up front, then yeah, people usually take that over time. Yeah. Ask yourself better questions. Be honest with yourself. Is this what I love to do? And if not, what is it? Go follow your passion. Go swing the bat. And I guarantee you that if you sit in front of somebody in a business, even if you don't have the experience, even if you're up against people with more experience, people buy people before they buy their products, ideas, concepts, or resumes. Case closed. Wow. People buy people. And yeah, that is so powerful and something that so many people overlook when they're trying to put everything on their resume or what the words that they say, whether than how they show up in the world, full of energy and just ready to take action and ready to tackle whatever comes their way or whatever task their business or corporation needs. And Peter, I am loving this conversation now. And I'll tell you, man, you know, the reason why I blanked a little bit back is because, man, you are on fire. And I do this all the time. And I talk to, I train very high performance people who they're all CEOs. They all run multi-million dollar companies, but I am challenged by your energy, man. And I love it. It's forcing me to step up to a higher level to really pay attention, to stay engaged and man, and to resonate on your level. So thank you for that. I really enjoy those types of situations where someone makes me step up. And what I was going to mention before is what you said about the news and no need to go down it because I've talked about it a lot. I'm pretty extreme. I don't watch TV. Well, I do watch certain shows, but I don't have cable. I don't watch the news. I stay away from it. I tell people if they ever question me, I'm like, you need to, when you start to pay me to watch the news and a good amount of money, something that makes it worth my time, I'll start to do that. I've talked about some of the research that shows the news shows 17 to one negative stories to positive. So like you mentioned before, it's not a realistic view of what's actually happening in the world. And one thing I want to talk to you about to go back to your thing about identity is before we hopped on, I talked to you about the tragedy that I've been through in my life. You know, my brother was kidnapped and murdered. My mother died when I was 14, sent me in a really bad situation in high school. And I barely, like you, I, I was not, I had to get out of formal education. I just couldn't focus. And I've also had a few things happen, but yet I was able to shift my identity to someone who not has just overcome that, but has used that energy to give back. And people constantly ask me like, how did you do it? What do you do? And for me, it wasn't a contrived thing. And what I'm getting to right now, Peter, is I want to challenge you right now back to this identity thing and to say, what if someone has something very tragic and however they define it, maybe it's not exactly what I went through. Maybe it's a tragic divorce. Maybe it's a tragic health situation. How do you help people find the power in that tragedy to push forward and to make meaning of it, to shift their identity to one that has overcome and now it's empowered them in some way? 
Well, for a start there, Ted, thank you for, again, challenging me. And I love the fact that we're a mirror for each other to hold ourselves to a standard. And you really are a model for that. And it's coming back to one of the number one fundamental truths that so many people in today's you know, egocentric world miss. And that is, especially when you, you have your starring, as everybody does, as the star in the movie called Their Life, feel that as the star in the movie, everybody's looking at me as the star in my movie, but they're not. Yeah, Nobody cares about your movie. Everybody's starring in their own movie called Their Life. And so you're simply an extra in everybody else's movie under the assumption that you think they're looking at you as the star. Well, they're not. So a lot of people that then need certainty or significance or connection do it through stories and their story about how bad things have happened. There's a saying that misery likes company, and I don't believe that. I believe misery likes miserable company. <laughs> and if you've got a, a situation where somebody's gone through something that is tragic, and trust me, you have a, an extreme story. And so you've got a fantastic example there. I mean, there's a lot of stories that don't come close to wanting to swap with yours if they had the choice. But everybody has a reason why they want to play victim. And if you had my parents, and if you had my teachers, and if you had my ex-wife, and if you had my boss, and all of this noise, all of this stuff, all of this story that tells people, you know, here's my excuse for playing small in life, and I feel completely justified for telling this story because look how bad it is. And I'm a great believer in not belittling anything. You can't ignore it. You know, these are sure. significant emotional events for people. But the, the truth is that 99% of stress can be eliminated when you stop focusing on your damn self. If you start to say, well, listen, I can't do anything about the past. There is nothing that I can do about what has happened. And moping about it, looking about it, wishing it was different is just a waste of atomic energy. So if you turn around and say, listen, I can be poor me for the rest of my life and get my connection from other people that validate me as poor me, then yeah, that may get you some low quality friends and some connection and some sympathy, but it's not going to be the reason why you were born and put on this planet. If you can turn around, like, like having a relationship, you have somebody leave you in a relationship and you can turn around and say, well, I'm no good, so they left me. I say, well, thank God they went, so they made room for somebody who's right, who's next. It's a choice. Everything is a choice. So let me ask you a question. Sure. What is the past? Since there's so many people spend so much time there disempowering themselves, what is the past? Ever thought about it? What is it? You're asking me. Yeah. Yeah. The past is just memories in our head, not necessarily good or bad, but just written down events kind of objectively. This is how I would see it. Yeah. You're doing great. And the way like my emotions color my beliefs, my emotions, my mindset, my identity, like we talked about, color how I look back on those events. So even though those things have happened, the way I feel about them and the way they affect my life has changed a lot over time. But the past is just these events that have happened, just kind of like, here's a picture of this event. Here's a picture of that event. So that's yeah. what I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. So many people think the past is real. And the past is simply a label that the mind has come up with to essentially mask over what is truth, which is the past is nothing more than a real time memory of a previous event or your perception of a previous event with the brain filling in most of the blanks as to what it means. That's it. If it happened one second ago or a million years ago, is there any difference in the domain of time? Yeah, right. Uh, Can you change it? Can you no, change you can't it easily if it was a second? No. Now, there may be some residual biochemical effects based upon the actual proximity to that event, depending on how you've been thinking. Sure. But essentially, the past, once it's gone, it's gone. Spending a second thinking about it any more than that in a disempowering way is just going to relive that like watching a bad movie over and over again. Right? So 
if you start coming to the table with saying, well, you know something, I can't change what happened. But if I believe that there's a higher level of intelligence, which is the same intelligence that means I don't have to figure out where to pump my blood in my capillaries. Yeah, there's got to be something there. Yeah, I'm not going to get into the labels that people go to war over. But there's an intelligence that guides us beyond our conscious mind. Yeah, we can't argue with that unless you know, you're an ostrich. So if you have a, a situation whereby you say, well, if there is a, a higher level of intelligence and from everything I see in nature, it's here to serve us, not hinder us, then whatever's happened to me, I can't change. But if I stop focusing on myself and I start using, how can I help somebody else who's gone through this as an example of somebody that can reframe it into a more empowering meaning? How can I demonstrate to other people? How can I serve? How can I grow and contribute through this? And, you know, I say that the strongest trees grow in the strongest winds, not in the best soil. So if you've encountered a hurricane and you want to mope about it to all the other trees, that's one thing. But if you recognize that you're stronger as a result of that, that your roots are deeper as a result of that, that you can add value and shade to more people next time the storm comes along, you have a different way of starting to tap into a power that will take you forward rather than keep you pegged back. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think some people like myself, and there's people who've been through way worse things than I have. I don't put any claim to fame or on the level of tragedy. I don't look at it that way. But I feel like there's these really trying tragedies that happen in life. And they, like you said, they're hurricanes and they forced us, people like myself, to grow deeper roots and, you know, become stronger. And I feel sometimes people don't get that early enough. And it takes, an example would be someone who goes to the doctor and says, hey, listen, if you don't lose some weight, if you don't start exercising, if you don't start sleeping better, you're going to die from a heart attack. And we're not talking about it in 10 years. We're talking about 10 months. You really need to change. Or, you know, somebody maybe going through something else that has to wake them up. I mean, now I want to ask you about health and fitness and how it factors into your life. But the last question is, how do you help people who haven't had this extreme situation to push past it. I mean, is there a way to get those guys listening right now who are like, oh, life is terrible, but they've never really had anything that made them reevaluate their life. What do you do to help guys in particular get past that? Great question. And the first thing I'd say there is, you know, check who you're hanging with because you'll surround yourself with people who support your story. Game over. So if you're in a situation where unfortunately a lot of people are, and again, it comes back to this sort of quiet desperation, you know, this veneer of trying to keep up with the Joneses when reality, all the Joneses are begging you know, secretly that you're going to give up the game so that they can give up the game. <laughs> but if you have a situation whereby you're in what I would term apathy, you, know, yeah. you have a, I don't care. I'm not bothered. I've lost interest. I've lost passion. I've lost the will to care about it. You know, leave me alone. You know, I'm going to my own little deal and no one's talking me out of it. Again, people are focused way much on themselves at that point. Yeah, apathy is a, a really tough place to get people out from. And one of the only ways that one of the, the most biggest ways that I found is to look for and increase your why. Yeah, if you've got no reason to do anything, you're not going to do it. Well, what is your why? And if your why is focused on yourself or avoiding pain or trying to hide out, then get a better why. The most powerful one, and it comes back again, is to stop focusing on yourself. People will do more for others than they do for themselves. 
You see that in the New York Marathon. You've got more first-time runners in the marathon running for a charity or a relative who died or a hospice that looks after them or what have you, right, that got them out of bed you know, when it was raining and snowing and to, to run 16 miles in training. Whereas if they were doing it for themselves to try and prove something, they'd have probably stayed in bed. So pick a cause, something. You know, Is it your kids? Yeah, look at your kids. What kind of life example do you want to be as a parent for these people? And don't hide out by saying, well, no, I'm, I'm going to work all week so that I can provide a better education for them. Really, how about providing a better father for them? What is it that really drives you? Are you really trying to prove to your parents that you're good enough? Or do you want to be an example of somebody who says, I'm independent of the good opinion of others. I'm walking my truth. You know, win, lose or draw. I'm walking my truth because that's a better example than caring about or worrying about other people that you think are keeping score when they're not. So if you've got a, a health situation, and you're apathetic. If you don't do it for yourself, find a better reason or surround yourself with a group of people that are moving in the direction that you want. They'll make it easier for you. They'll hold you to a standard. They won't allow you to hide out and get a better why. And if your why is about you, it's usually smaller. Make it about something bigger. It's the fastest way I've found here, Ted, to get people to start moving without trying to hit them over the head with a bat. <laughs> I love it. And the why. So fascinating because I work with people on their bodies and in my personal training business. And when they don't have a strong why, it really sets them back. Those are the people who can't be consistent with their exercise and they're not eating in, in a way that keeps them healthy. It's because they don't have a strong enough why. And that's such a great answer. And, you know, speaking of health and fitness, we talked a little bit about you being a competitive bodybuilder and also, I believe, an ultra marathoner. Can you talk about? health and fitness, how it plays a role in your life right now as an extreme entrepreneur. And then I'd love to get on and talk a little bit about what you're doing with the Millionaire Business School and yeah, and we'll wrap things up. Sure, no. Health and fitness, I mean, where do you start? We, we are the encapsulation as human beings of both the physical and the metaphysical. Yeah, we have a physical body and we have a metaphysical sense of self. Metaphysical simply means beyond the physical without people getting into assumptions of woo-woo. So the, the essence of who we are really is metaphysical. You know, the essence of who you are, Ted, is not your body because you've got a different body now to what you had you know, 20 years ago and probably one that will be different when you're 90. So that it's not the physical because it's the same essence of who you are. So the real part of who you are is metaphysical, but the physical side is where that metaphysical lives. So you have to take care of that. You have physical energy, biochemical energy, which is important to manage. If your energy flows are, are in play, you need a healthy sense of physicality to deal with that, especially with today's amount of stresses and pollutants and electromagnetic frequencies that have never existed before in human history. So if you're dealing with day-to-day, -day, there's no excuse. And you know, I'll say it out front. I don't know which other way to say it. If you don't make time for health and fitness, you have to make time for illness. Right. That's it. I mean, there's no middle ground there. And if you struggle with weight, it's usually because you've been brainwashed by the media as to what you think you should eat. And it's screwing up most of your hormones and you're eating too many you know, low fat, carb rich crap that has been a social experiment, a disaster that's caused most of the world to be diabetic. But go research people who you want to model that have done what you want to do or at the, the place that you want to be. And if you want to have energy, it's available. We weren't designed to be stressed and sluggish. We weren't designed to need coffee 24-7. We weren't designed to sleep for nine hours a day and still, yeah, or eight hours a day and still be tired. Get back to what it is that you've got, which is a body that you don't pay for, that is rent-free, 
that is perfectly designed by evolution to be an energized burning machine as long as you take the right steps to do it. I'm a big fan of Dave Asprey and the Bulletproof guys. I was with Dave the other day. We had lunch and you know, he spent years and hundreds of thousands of dollars finding out the answers behind all the crap to shortcut people and sums it up in the book. Go read the book. There's dozens of examples like that. There's no excuse anymore for sitting there and saying, oh, I'm tired. I, I just can't get out of bed. And yet you know, my body rejects more than six hours sleep a night. I can't physically sleep more than six hours because my body's too energized to get out and do something. Now, part of that is the physical because I'm in good shape because I, I spend at least 15 to 20 minutes a day. And that's all you need. Yeah. Three, four times a week. Yeah. Working on my body. Yeah. If you challenge your body, it will come back and give you a better version of itself. Yeah. We're, we're used to that. If you challenge your mind, it'll come back and give you a better version of itself. We, it's just the law of how it works. So I, my body's in shape. My mind is in shape. The thoughts you think have a direct influence on the biochemistry of your body. You know, if you're coming back from a party, Ted, and I know you wouldn't do this, but you know, maybe some of the listeners may know somebody I, although who Although I have in the past. <laughs> you know, let, let's just you know, play imagination for a second. Yeah, says he grinning. Let's say you're coming back from a party. You've had a couple of drinks. You think you're okay, but you know, there's a gray area there and you see a blue light in your rearview mirror. What happens to you physically at that point? Well, it's a blue and red light here in the States, and you get really nervous. And Your the heart rate goes up or down? Uh, way up. Stress levels, blood pressure, breathing patterns. You know, you've got a whole physical, biophysical and chemical shift instantaneously. Now, here's the question that counts. What caused that? That was psychological by seeing what was uh, the imminent threat, which was the police behind you. Exactly. Now, here's what most people would say that live at the cause and effect mentality of the Newtonian paradigm, which doesn't really give empowerment in today's world. And that is the thing. Oh, no, the blue light caused me to panic. Well, no. I, the reason I know that can't be true is because you know, there's no studies that show that that blue light goes into your skull, penetrates the blood-brain barrier, and starts messing around with your brain to produce different you know, hormones, chemicals, and neuropeptides. It was your thinking in relation to that blue. Now, if that blue light happens to be go past you and chase somebody else, you have a different physical reaction. If it happens to be an ambulance and you pull up at the place to pick somebody up you care about, you have a different physical reaction. It's not the blue light. It is always our thinking in relation to that that creates a massive shift in our physicality. Yeah, Dr. Joe Dispenza, another great author and, uh, and somebody I'm a big fan of, wrote a book recently, New York Times book, called uh, You Are the Placebo, which shows you the science of how you think affecting your health and physicality. So if you're going to the gym, having pushed the willpower and got up early and, you know, and bit the bullet, and you're thinking, I hate this, and this sucks, and oh God, I wish I couldn't feel this pain, or you know, this isn't working, or I'm not happy with the results yet. The thinking that you're programming yourself with at that point has a massive impact on the actual results. You become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Even if you're 200 pounds overweight and you go to the gym and you start visualizing the body that you want, you start tapping into the energy levels of how you're going to be feeling when you, you, know, you lose the weight and you start getting excited at the, even the small incremental gains, you will accelerate your progress regardless of diet or the reps that you do. So the mental aspect of training is just as important. I'm putting a program together on this you know, next year that really shows people the power of how to, to combine that because very few people are doing it. But uh, that aside, you know, health and fitness is a priority. I say it again. If you don't make time for health, you'll have to make time for illness. Yeah, so well said and, and so very, very true because I end up working with these guys who have put off their health for financial gain to work on their business. And uh, most of them don't, by the way. Most of them do 
pay attention to their health. They stay healthy. They hire me and work with me for years. Many of my clients have been with me for years, but I also get the ones who have foregone the exercise, foregone the, the focus on eating well and, and sleep hygiene. And they show up and it's not a good situation. Even though they've got millions of dollars to spend, they have this body where they can't even enjoy their lives. I'm curious though, Peter, is, is there any special thing that you do? You mentioned Dave Asprey, who's been on the show and you biohacking. Is there anything special that you do maybe supplement wise or biohacking wise that keeps you at your best? Don't complicate it. There's a lot of great stuff that's out there now. Again, I'm a big fan of the Bulletproof product range, but at the end of the day, what is the primary component that we're composed of? Water. Sure. Water, right? Hydrate. Yeah, I hydrate intensely and dehydration is probably one of the biggest challenges for, for most people. I make my own fresh hemp milk. I'm a big fan of, of hemp as a natural protein. So I, I use, I make hemp milk in, in the morning if I'm drinking some now. And hydration is probably one of the biggest things that most people listening to this that want to take charge of their health could do. Unless it's bulletproof, get off the, the nasty coffee, get off the sodas, stop drinking crap, stop eating crap. Yeah, and I do a whole talk, one of my straight talks on health. It, it is a passion, but the three easiest chunks that you can chunk it down to to avoid all the commercial bias and misinformation and bullshit is as follows. Yeah, one. Stop putting in the wrong stuff, whether it's sodas, smoking, you know, junk food, whatever, processed crap, doesn't matter. Stop putting in the wrong stuff. Number two, start putting in the right stuff. Yeah, some natural, healthy, organic. I mean, I'm a big juice guy. I love juicing. You know, most of my diet, in, uh, uh, certainly in, before lunch, is all juice. And number three, get the stuff that shouldn't be in there out. Get a decent detox that serves you at the level that you that works for your body. And those three things are all you really need when it comes down to it. That's the simple, simplest way I can do it. But the fastest way for most people to get healthy that aren't hydrate. It's as simple as that. I mean, you, you could talk all the fancy hacks and yeah, and oils and what have you, but hydration is probably the fastest thing. We, and you could talk on this for about three hours, as I'm, I'm sure you could, Ted. But just a quick, simple thing for people, start drinking more and better quality water. Yeah, not municipal crap that's poisoned with fluoride and chlorine, Yeah, but good quality. Get yourself a decent quality filter. Add some fulvic minerals to it when you're drinking, if you wish, to put some stuff back. But essentially, hydration is probably the fastest tip I could give people. I love I love it and I love how you simplify it. We haven't talked about fitness, but that I'm a big fan of simplicity and yeah, some people really get off on the higher level stuff like Ben Greenfield and Dave Asprey, but yeah, if you're not doing the basics, you want to listen to Peter and uh, apply what he just said. It was so concise, so succinct, and so true, man. Uh, really love it. And Peter, I know we're coming up to our time, but I'd love for you to explain what you're doing with your millionaire business school. And by the way, if you love what Peter is saying, and I don't know how you couldn't, make sure you go to petersage.com and check out what he's up to because he's up to some big stuff. But Peter, can you talk about the millionaire business school? You mentioned to me before, we hopped on it sound fascinating well it's a three-day event that i designed from scratch i'm very proud of it it's it was designed for one reason only and that is to take people who are either want to be entrepreneurs in that sort of gray zone we talked about earlier or seasoned you know, entrepreneurs or sme 
you know uh, professionals and and really transform them into through what I call enlightened entrepreneurship. I know I've been known quite a lot through the internet through some of the crazy stuff I've done as an extreme entrepreneur, but I think most of the fulfillment comes from what I call enlightened entrepreneurship. This is no longer, as you say, running around trying to make loads of money so that I can finally be you know, have the life of my dreams to realize it's too late because my wife's left me and I'm diabetic. Yeah, it's about how do I find fulfillment in what I do right now? And so in three days, it's the, it's the tightest schedule that I could plan it in, although in three days, we cover 40 hours. Yeah, this isn't your typical nine to five seminar. I don't do that. You come to spend time with me and it's a transformational process. You walk out a different person yeah, physically and mentally, spiritually, emotionally than you walked in. Otherwise, it means nothing. So the, the MBS or the Millionaire Business School, I've done it around the world for the last couple of years. And it's a, a process of transformation where we spend a day entirely reinventing who you are, re-sculpting you from the inside out in ways that have permanent lasting biochemical, neurochemical, identity shifting effects. Once we've done that, we can talk business. You know, I, I can teach you how to make a million dollars in 12 months with my eyes shut. That's, I've done it too many times and my students do it all the time. Yeah, and, yeah, and some people, that's not what they want. Some people, it's $10 million. Some people, it's less, depending on what it is that they want. I have no right to impose that, but I'll teach people how to start a business with no money. I'll teach people how to double their existing business without spending money using you know, strategies that are in alignment with you know, the, the higher level of adding value, greater good, yeah, truth, social yeah, initiatives. And really, people walk out of that transformed. It's Again, I'm, you can tell I'm passionate about it. I'm not here as a, to try and push it. You know, if it resonates, then look at my website, have a look, and, and feel free to, to you know, see if it's something for you. But you know, I'm just so excited that in three days, we can transform people from stressed out, overworked, under-resourced, underpaid entrepreneurs into people whose lives dramatically shift emotionally and spiritually, let alone financially, which is is a given. Man, I'm sold. Where do I sign up? <laughs> well, no. say, go, go to sage.com and I'm doing one in London in a few weeks and you'd be more than welcome, Ted, as my guest, should you wish to come I, as a thank you for putting me on this medium. I'd be more than happy to do that. If at some point in the future uh, you feel it's something that uh, one of your lucky listeners would like to attend, I'm sure we can do a, a little deal on there as, again as a thank you for putting this message out there because for me, it's, at this time of my life, as a teacher, it's all about adding value. Wow, Peter. Thank you so much for that, man. I don't know what to say. That's really, really generous and really kind of you to offer that. And is there a particular way you want people listening right now to reach out to you if they're interested in participating? Go to petersage.com. You'll see a link to the Millionaire Business School on there. Go have a look. And yeah, if it resonates, then come play. I promise you this will be unlike anything you've done before and something that will be a life-changing experience for the better. Wow. All right. Well, there you have it. Go to petersage.com. Check out the Millionaire Business School. And even if you're not uh, ready to make that type of leap, check out what Peter's up to. He's so inspirational. And man, Peter, I tell you, I've listened to interviews with you, but this is the first time we've spoken together. You just really challenged me in a way that helped me grow through this interview. So thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your time, your wisdom, your knowledge. I'm very grateful. And man, I need to see if I can make that happen in London. Thank you so much. Ted, it's an absolute pleasure. All I am is a mirror for people to see their own greatness. And I'll believe in people to that level more than they will until they will. And that's why you know people like yourself and I are very blessed to have been guided to, to put that kind of message out. And you're an incredible example of that, my friend. Well, thank you, Peter. I just know I want to meet you. So <laughs> I'm gonna, we're going to end this. I'm going to go check my schedule. 